0: Have your Bibles, would you open God's Word in Daniel chapter 4? Because after the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3, it was another dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, far different from the dream he had had in chapter 2. So find Daniel chapter 4. While you're turning to that chapter, let me ask you if you're taking notes or if you write in your Bible, uh, maybe somewhere around Daniel chapter 4 would you write the reference of Proverbs 16:18 Proverbs 16:18 while you're writing that down I will read the verse to you Proverbs 16:18 says this Pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall Pride goes before destruction that is before your life falls apart before Things began to happen that you did not envision. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. That's what we're going to be seeing. That's what we're going to be looking at in Daniel chapter 4. Because here's how pride works. First of all, you get puffed up. That's what pride is. You get puffed up. But then you get humbled. That's the way pride works. Especially if you're a child of the Lord. That you get puffed up, and then eventually, if you don't deal with pride in your life, you will get humbled. We're going to learn that tonight from Daniel chapter 4. Now, again, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down somewhere. Uh, students of the Word believe that probably there was a, a, a lapse of time between chapter 3 and chapter 4, a, a time lapse of maybe 20 to 30 years. 20 to 30 years may have elapsed between the episode of the fiery furnace described in chapter 3 and the events described in chapter 4, Daniel is a much older man now. And uh, you'll see the same thing next week, Lord willing, between chapter 4 and chapter 5. By the time we look at Daniel next week, Lord willing, if we go, if we go there, uh, Daniel will be in his 80s by the time we, we look at it next week. But in chapter 4, he's probably a middle-aged man, uh, and it's a unique chapter in the book of Daniel. And in fact, it really is a unique chapter in the entire Bible. And the reason I say it's a unique chapter is because it is an official autobiographical document prepared by the king of Babylon. Now, I want you to hear that again. The king of Babylon wrote this chapter. It's his own story. It's an autobiographical document. Chapter 4 is essentially the king, Nebuchadnezzar, giving his testimony in written form. Let me show you what we're talking about. Daniel chapter 4, I hope you're there by now, beginning of verse 3. I'm going to say to you what Elizabeth Taylor said to her last husband. I'm not going to keep you long. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, May you prosper greatly. At this time, the reason he's writing to the people of all the world is because he's in charge of all the world. He's the world's superpower at this time. And now he's writing this letter to the people of the world. And he says in verse 2, It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Now stop reading. Don't go any further. This is a pagan king. This is not something you'd expect to write or expect him to write. This is not something a pagan king would normally set down as how oh, I want to write this document and I want to honor the Most High God. So it makes us immediately say, what's going on here? What has happened to this pagan king? Verse 3 How great are his signs? How mighty his wonders? His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, his dominion endures from generation to generation. I've got that highlighted in my Bible, underlined in my Bible. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar knew that his kingdom would not be. He knew like all men know that our days are numbered. He knew like all kings would know that his kingdom had an end date. Now, he didn't know when the end date was, but he was smart enough to know that no mortal man's kingdom lasts forever. But he says his kingdom, this God Almighty, the Most High God. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Generations come, generations go, but this king will be there forever, he says. So it makes us, it makes us uh, wonder some things. I've got two observations I wrote down in my notes. Number one, this sure doesn't sound like a pagan, the first verses. It sure doesn't sound like a pagan. It sounds like somebody who's worshiping God. Sounds like something that you could have written. Sounds like something that you'd expect a, a follower of God to write. So hang on to that thought. The second observation I would make about these first three verses is that this proclamation came from the vantage point of hindsight. In other words, he writes after he's learned a lesson the hard way. That's a very important point. He's writing after he's learned a lesson. And because of the lesson that he learned and the way in which he learned it, he's motivated to sit down and write this praise, this edict of what has happened. So let's read and see what happened. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. In other words, things were going well for me, And there was nothing wrong in my life or in my family, in my kingdom. I was contented and prosperous. And then in verse 5, he says, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. It's interesting, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, and this one, the first one made him curious. This one terrifies him. First one made him want to get some answers. This one scares him to death. And so, who, who interpreted the first dream that he had in Daniel chapter 2? Daniel did. So, who would you expect he would call to interpret this dream that terrifies him? And he doesn't. Interesting, look, look at this. Verse six. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, and astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Now, I'm not trying to make a big point. I just think it's an interesting thing that he didn't turn immediately to Daniel. That he didn't. That's what I would have done. I said, "Go get Daniel. I need to talk to Daniel. And he'd be the first name in my mind." Uh, but but this king goes back to the old ways, and he goes back to the astrologers, the enchanters, the magicians. And maybe the Lord wants to remind us that the wisdom of the world is futile and only he understands the future. Isn't that true? God's the only one who understands the future. And so these astrologers, these these, uh, uh, wise men, if you will, they could not figure out what the dream was. They didn't know what the future held. Only God can do that. So we continue the story. Finally, verse 8. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. So here, Nebuchadnezzar is declaring himself still a pagan worshiper. Verse 9, I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you and no mystery, I'm sorry, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Remember I told you that Nebuchadnezzar had a worldwide kingdom. It was the world's superpower. Now notice this tree. It's visible to the ends of the earth. Verse verse 12. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From, From it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, perhaps an angel, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Now look closely at what else. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the mind of an animal. Till seven times pass by for him. Most people believe that that phrase seven times is referring to seven years. let, Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven years or till seven years pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declared the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is what, church? The Most High is Sovereign. And he's sovereign over what? He's sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. Here's what I was thinking recently. I thought, who, who was ruling Babylon, the superpower of the world? If you were to ask people who know history who ruled Babylon, you, they would say, oh, it was King Nebuchadnezzar. If you gave them these dates, it was King Nebuchadnezzar. He ruled Babylon. But really, that's not true, is it? Because the one over him was the sovereign God who put him on that throne you know who was really ruling over Babylon it was God can we can we acknowledge something it's very very important that you go vote midterm elections I was talking to somebody today that's very very important but I'm going to tell you something There is one greater than whoever sits in Washington. And he rules over the affairs of men and women. Verse 18. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Daniel, as he was... Had done previously, turns out is able to interpret this dream, but he doesn't have good news this time. Let's read beginning in verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, uh, time, and his thoughts terrified him. I mean, there's something about this dream because it terrified the king. Now it's terrifying Daniel. He knows the interpretation, and it's terrifying him. One of the reasons he may be terrified is because he knows what he's about to tell the king, and it's not good news. The king would have the ability, should he desire to do so, to execute Daniel for giving him that bad news. So Daniel is greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar, or Daniel, answered, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Man, what a great move he just made. He kind of lessened the the impact by saying, You know, I I wish what I'm about to tell you applied to just your enemies. Verse Verse 20, now he begins to explain this dream. The tree you saw which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the ends of the earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all and giving shelter to the beasts of the fields and having nesting places in the branches for the birds of the air. You, O oh king, are that tree. That's right. I am great. I am large. I'm the, I'm the world's superpower, the king of the world's superpower. You're that tree, he said. You have become great and strong, and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Kind of makes you want to stick out your chest and say, yep, that's me. Yep. Verse 23. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like wild animals until seven times or seven years pass by for him. Then he says, This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord, the king. I bet Daniel here, when he's getting ready to really give him the information, he probably just kind of gulped really big. Okay. Here's the interpretation. Here's what he says. Talking to the most powerful man in the world, Daniel says, you'll be driven away from your people or from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by, or seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is what, church? Sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. i got that highlighted in my Bible, heaven rules. Uh, That's just something you need to put on your bulletin board sometime. Heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. He says, I want to give you some advice, and here's my advice for you. Renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that, he said, I can't promise you this, but it may be that then your prosperity will continue. So basically he's saying this, okay, here's the dream, here's the interpretation, and my advice is this, turn to God. Repent of your turn turn to God. And it might be that he'll continue to let you have all that you have. Your prosperity will continue. Now, I want to talk to you for a few minutes. Let me set my clock here, all right? I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the danger of giving in to pride. The danger of giving in to pride. Did you know that there are some choices that you and I can make that will bring God's hand of judgment against us? Do you understand that there are some choices you can make that will bring the humbling hand of God into your life? When can we expect to experience the humbling hand of God? And I'm not saying that God's going to do for you what he did to Nebuchadnezzar. But I am saying this, God has the power to humble you as surely as he had the power to humble the most powerful man in the world. If God could humble the most powerful man in the world, I don't think he's going to have any problem humbling you or me. So, so what is it that we do that sometimes might invite the hand of God to humble us? Here's the first one. I'm going to give you three. Here's the first thing that we sometimes do, the the danger of giving in to pride. One of the things we sometimes do is refusing to listen when God gives a warning. Refusing to listen when God gives a warning. There there are three words in verse 27 you don't want to skip over. Daniel said, accept my advice. Now I want you to think of the history and the credibility behind those words. Daniel has already interpreted one dream for the king. He interpreted it rightly. He told the king what nobody else could ever have told him. Uh, In fact, go back to chapter 2 for a moment, verse 46. Chapter 2, verse 46. At the end of this interpretation of this dream, it says, verse 46, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell... Fell prostrate before Daniel, paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you're able to reveal this mystery. And so you would think with that kind of a background, that when Daniel said, now king, let me give you some advice, you would think that he would perhaps listen to him. You would think that he would... Say, yes, I need to hear what you have to say. But Daniel's advice was something he didn't want to hear. In Daniel chapter 4, you know what was his advice? His advice was basically this. You need to get right with God. You need to turn to God. You need to repent, turn to God. You need to acknowledge your sin and put your faith in the true and living holy God of the universe. You, you need to turn to God. I've seen it, I know you have too, that people can hear what they need to do, but their pride keeps them from doing it. You see, the central issue in God being God in your life and in mine, the central issue in God being God is this. Will we give him control? The central issue is not what we believe about God. The central issue is, is not what we're going to do for God. The central issue in every relationship about God is this. Will you give God control? Now, some of us will give God a lot. We'll give God our time. We'll give God our money. Uh, we'll, we'll give God our attention. We'll give God our worship. We'll give God our service. We'll give God everything except control. The central issue is who's going to be in control of your life? Proud people say, if I'm honest, I can tell you who's going to be in control of my life. Proud people say, I am. God's name might be on the letterhead, but I'm really the acting chairman. You remember the song? Carrie Underwood had this, this uh, great song. I don't know when it came out. Probably been years ago now. Jesus, take the will. Anybody want to sing it for us? Jesus, take the will. Take it from my hand or something like that. Anybody, do you know it, Angie? Can you come over here and sing it real quick? <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. And I think it says something about take it from my hand. But I want to tell you something. Proud people would never sing that song. Proud people have a hard time letting God take the wheel. Proud people have a hard time letting God have control. I find something very interesting in this text if you look in chapter 4. After Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar this warning, he said, you need to accept my advice. God gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months to deal with it. Isn't God a patient God? I mean, he could because he's God of the universe, because he's sovereign, and the text tells us two, three times, he's sovereign over kings and men. Because he's sovereign, he could have said, you either kneel now or you die. That's not what he did. God is a loving God and a patient God. And I'm so so glad he is because I need his his love and his mercy and his patience. Twelve months. And he said, where do you see that? Look at verse 28. Remember now in verse 27, he said, now, you know, you need to uh, renounce your sins by doing what's right, your wickedness, by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29, 12 months later. So something is about to happen to him, but it happened to him 12 months later. So God gave him 12 long months to deal with this issue of pride. Now, the second mistake that prideful people make is this. Prideful people think that they make things happen. They take credit for all the stuff that's happened in their life. Look at verse 29 and verse 30. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? One of the biggest traps that you and I can fall into is to think that our accomplishments are because of us. I know you had a role to play in that. I know that you're an intelligent person. I know that you worked hard. I understand that that you make good decisions. I get all of that. But listen, you need to understand something. Who gave you that ability to make those decisions? Who gave you that strength to work hard? Who made it possible for you to do what you're doing? Who gave you the physical health to go to work every day? The Bible says every good thing comes from above. Proud people forget that. Proud people say, no, I did this. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've built. Look at what I've accomplished. Aren't I amazing? Now, this is all over the Bible. Let me show you. uh, Put your finger in Daniel. Go to the left. Go to uh, way towards the front of your of your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I know you've read this before, uh, but it's a great, great passage of Scripture, a great reminder for every one of us. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses is speaking here in this text, and uh, he's giving a word of warning before the people of God go into the promised land. Let's start at verse 6, observe the commands of the Lord your God walking in his ways and revering him for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. In in other words, folks, what you're about to experience is really going to be something special. Verse 10, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Don't miss that. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the land he has given you. Verse 11, be careful. he led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty, waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, not something your fathers had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to, for, I'm sorry, for yeah, it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your fathers, forefathers as it is today. It is He who gave you that ability. Basically, what we're saying here is this. You and I, all of us, we need to be careful not to steal God's glory. We need to make sure that in the midst of our accomplishments, we're pointing to Him, not to us. We need to make sure that pride does not take root in our heart and we begin to think that we made it happen. That we are the ones responsible for it. That we are the ones who deserve the glory and the credit. I, I, one of the reasons I always admired Billy Graham was because he refused to take God's glory. I think he's probably, the, I, I never knew him of course, but I think he's probably one of the most humble men I've ever seen. Now, one of the reporters asked him one day, said, uh, no, I'm sorry, he, he said one day to a reporter, he said, if God took his hands off my lips for one moment, they would turn to clay. And then a reporter one day asked him, said, in a TV interview, so the reporter asked him, says, when you die, what do you want people to say about you? And his response was, I don't want them to say anything about me. I want them to talk about God. I don't want them to say anything about me. I want them to talk about God. Compare that to 1 Samuel 1512. I'll read it to you. You can turn there if you want to, or you can write down the reference. First 1 Samuel 1512 it says, Early in the morning Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument to his own honor. If we're not careful, we'll all try to do that. Set up a monument to our own honor. Look at this house I've built. Set up an, a monument to our own honor. Look at what I've accomplished. Can I remind you of something? If, if you struggle with the area of pride, can I remind you of something that's very, very important? The more there is of you, the less there's going to be of God. The more there is of you, the less there's going to be of God. Isn't that why John said, he must increase, but I must decrease? The third mistake, the final mistake that prideful people make is this. This is, this is a big one. Thinking that you control everything. Prideful people think that they control everything. Prideful people think I've got this thing figured out. I've got the power to accomplish what I want to accomplish. I've got the money to do whatever I want to do. Prideful people think they can do anything, that they control everything. Daniel chapter 4, verse 31. What's the first word of verse in verse I'm sorry, verse 30? Let me start verse 31, then I'll ask you a question. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals and you will eat grass like cattle. Seven times or seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign. There's that word again. Over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Now, what's the first word in verse 33? Immediately, immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. Your life can change in a heartbeat. Your life can change whenever God says it's going to change. You can be the most powerful man in the world, and immediately, everything's different. Everything's changed. In a moment, Nebuchadnezzar knew that the myth of his own control was simply that, a myth. It just took a moment for Nebuchadnezzar to realize he's not in control of everything. And in some ways, he's not in control of anything read the story. It's an amazing story. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people, ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. He say, Pastor, did did that really happen? I mean, that, that just sounds strange. Does that really happen? Did you know that there's actually a name for what Nebuchadnezzar had? I'm going to try to make sure I say this right. Um, Boanthropy? No, that's not right. I'll spell it for you. B-O-A-N-T-H-R-O-P-Y. B-O-A-N-T-H-R-O-P-Y. How would you say that? All right, Well, that would be good. Let, Let me tell you what it is. Let me tell you what it is. It is actually a psychological disorder in which humans believe that they are a bovine. They believe a psychological disorder where they believe that they're they're a cow. They believe that they're an ox. You can actually go, you don't do this right now, you can actually go on YouTube and they've got videos of people who think they are a cow or an ox and they're out in the field eating grass. I'm not making this stuff up. This, this, this actually happened in the days of the Old Testament, and it still happens even today. And I found this so interesting. Listen to this. This, this just came straight off the Internet. Uh, one of those websites that kind of explain everything, it said, the disorder, this, this is a quote, the disorder usually begins as a sort of dream and then takes over a person entirely. Eventually becoming a mania. Isn't that exactly what happened in Nebuchadnezzar? It began as a dream. He started out saying, I had this dream. And then all of a sudden, immediately, it took over him entirely. And many of the websites, by the way, quote Nebuchadnezzar as the most famous one of these people, whatever that word is. Boanthropy. Boanthropy. Maybe it's Boanthropy. That That sounds better. Boanthropy. So what's the, what's the point of all this? Well, let's see how it turns out, then we'll come back to that. <clears throat> At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. So after seven years, he lived this way. For What happened to his kingdom during that? Who was... Who was ruling the kingdom during that time? A lot of scholars believe that it was Daniel and the other governors and officials that they were keeping things going while the king was out in the pasture eating grass. At the end of that time, I and Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. Now, watch. this is highlighted in my Bible. It may need to be in yours. His dominion is an eternal kingdom. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Can can I kind of bring this story to a close? You and I both have a choice. We can humble ourselves or we can be humbled. Right? We can humble ourselves or we can be humbled. Which is the less painful It's far less painful to humble yourself, though at the moment it may not seem like it, but it's far less painful to humble yourself than to have God humble you. Some of you, this third point perhaps is the place where you're struggling the most because for many, you live under under the uh, false idea that you're in control. You live under the false idea that that you've got it all in control. And for some of you, there might even be certain areas of your life where you're demanding that you keep control. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is my money. This is my business. This is my security. This is my future. This is my dream. You're living under the myth that you are in control. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you are so wrong. So wrong. Let me tell you something interesting about God. Your surrender will do what your control never could do. Your surrender will do what your control never could do. So let's see how the story ends. 35. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and with the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar has this understanding now that nobody, that God is sovereign. He does what he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of of earth. Verse 36. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Isn't God good? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify. I love this. The king of heaven. He's the king. I'm the king of Babylon, but he's the king of heaven. Because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Then the last sentence is underlined in my Bible. And it leads in so perfectly to next week and to chapter 5. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That is a warning for you and for me. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Those who walk in pride and refuse to allow God to have control. Those who walk in pride and take credit for all that they've done. Those who walk in pride and think that they're a make it happen kind of person and look at what I've accomplished. Those who walk in pride is able to humble. I got I to gotta close by asking you a question. If you were Nebuchadnezzar, you had this problem, you, you experienced this, it, Whatever that word is again. I'm having problems trying to say that word. Say it for me, Tracy. Boanthropy. Thank you. If you had this boanthropy for seven years, if you're the king, the most powerful man in the world, and you had boanthropy, and you lived like a cow for seven years, you going to tell anybody about that? Is that something you want to put out there? No. That's not something you're going to advertise. That's not something you're going to to talk about. That's not not something you're going to put in in the newspaper. No, you're not going to tell anybody. Unless, Unless you realize that only God made the difference. Unless you realize you would still be in the cow pasture, was it not for God? It'd still be eating grass if it wasn't for God. If you come to that realization, it was God that made the difference. And suddenly you want to tell everybody. Prideful people want to hide those kind of things people in whom god has done amazing work brag on him hope that's what you do this week brag on him father thank you for loving us even when we're unloving thank you for your mercy and your grace that even when you humble us that you then lift us up you are so good Help us not this week, not to walk in pride, not to think that we have control and we've made it happen. Help us to walk in gratitude for all that you have given and how good you've been to us. In Jesus' name I pray.